Hi, it's the H Word Podcast. Hi. Hi, how's it going? I'm Dan. Oh, I'm Becky. I'm talking over Dan. No, you're not. Oh, I I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> the reason that we're talking over each other is because we're doing another remote episode. Yeah, we're going to be doing this for months. Um, <laughs> months and months. Possibly forever. Maybe. Uh, a lot's going on in the world. And I, I did get out of the Yukon. I'm now in Vancouver, British Columbia. But it, while I was there, I definitely did feel like, well, maybe I just live here now. You know. How long were you there? Well, I was there for two weeks, but I just mean like, you know, coronavirus is happening. There's all sorts of just chaotic things in the world, and it felt. We recorded, we recorded one week ago. Yeah. And I said the cases were at 700 infected. Uh huh. Now we are at. Do you know how many? No, Dan, I don't. 6,000. That's pretty good. That's not good. That's an enormous growth. And that is 1,000 less than SARS total. Really? Yes. I have not been following this story the same way you have. <laughs> I've been watching the mainstream news, and they've told me everything's fine. And Ontario yeah. has done a very good job of containing it. Yes. That's what the well, PR people are telling us. And and the reality is that uh, you know I I don't I'm not here to spread fear. So yes, it is like the World Health Organization is convening tomorrow or maybe later today to assess it again. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I do agree that the news media is pretty bad at spreading fear. Um, See, I felt like I felt like they were trying to calm it in a way that made me uneasy. Well, your experience, yes, is that they're trying to calm it, and I think that is. I I think I think it's just like we need we need both sides. We need preparedness and reality and truth, but we also need, uh, you know, um, we we need things that's that that remind us not to uh, be complacent. Well, not to not to. you know, get upset about things that aren't necessarily real, like, you know, like the Asian community experiencing racism because of, oh yes, uh, the panic, etc. Yes, I have heard about this. Um, well, I'm in I'm in Vancouver, which is yeah. a lot closer to Asia in a lot of ways than Toronto. A, although a lot of ways, yeah, physically, <laughs> geographically, yeah, it just is. Um, but also, I'd say like the culture here, growing up here, it's it, it always felt like you know, somewhere between Vancouver and a Pacific Rim city. It kind of identifies that way. Um, Mm. And you see a lot of people walking around in masks. It's pretty normal right now. Um, But that also is, that happens anyway. I I wonder if I should be doing that. I have a mask. I got a mask for the first time in my life. Oh, yeah. Are they sold out of them? Um, The the home hardware that I went to had lots left. Oh, okay. Which one is that? Okay. Okay, well, now... Now everyone's going to know. The Roxasville's home <laughs> exactly. hardware. Go yeah, there. walk, run, don't walk. Um, well, yeah, I, I don't exactly know how to, how to feel about this. I was certainly concerned enough that a friend of mine was going to China, and I checked in to see if that was still happening. It, it isn't. <laughs> um, uh, the trip, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> but how are you feeling about the whole thing? 
Um, you know, the, the, I think the thing that is, uh, sticking with me the most is that I have travel planned, not right. to Asia, to Europe, but just the fact that it's travel. I have quite a bit of travel planned. I leave on Saturday for Los Angeles. Right. I'm taking a ferry today. Oh. I don't know that that's a germ locus. You can really, you can go outside and breathe the fresh air if you want to. Yeah. Yeah. Not on an airplane. I'm not sure about the ferry. I don't think it's a problem. It's like a bus. Are buses yeah. problems? Uh, are buses problems? Well, any place with enclosed spaces. Yeah. A bus be... is worse than a ferry. Yeah. A bus is worse than a ferry. Yeah. Um, okay. This is interesting. Because for me, this brings up um, a sort of an embarrassing world of conversation that that probably pertains to our themes here, um, which is conspiracy theories. Uh huh. I really like them. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm trying to. <laughs> uh, this is embarrassing to say in a public forum, but I'm trying to understand where is a healthy place to be. Um, critical or suspicious of the official story because we're also living in a time where that sort of thinking really quickly leads into, um, you know, fake news and influencing uh, political outcomes in a negative way. So yeah. I guess my question is, so I saw the, I, I saw the, um, the press conference or part of the press conference in Toronto about the first conference, uh, not confirmed, the first suspected, assumed Canadian case? Assumed, yeah. It was something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was just that the testing hadn't come back yet. And everyone yeah. was congratulating themselves on how well they had handled the situation. And to me, I thought, okay, I believe that it's contained. I don't think that it's spreading in a way that you're not telling us. But I also think there's some flukiness involved. I know that this, uh, the coronavirus compared to SARS is passed by droplets which is different than air Mm -hmm. so what it's not doing is it's not traveling like that 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 thing where it could in hong kong with sars just traveled across the street in the air Mm -hmm. to other buildings it can't do that apparently i believe that but also i'm like of course you're going to tell us everything's fine that's when you jump to a press conference Mm -hmm. when we don't hear stuff is when it's just going out of control Mm mm-hmm Am I insane to think that? Am I um, creating more problem? No, I don't think I don't think you are. Um, but it just you just have to keep it in check a bit. Like, yeah. Uh, like I think now this is like secondhand now, so I don't I don't have I can't cite sources on this. But there was apparently um, they were saying, "Don't worry, we're just going to contact the people who are in a two meter radius of this patient." on the plane yeah and if you haven't been contacted you're fine yeah and then people and, who hadn't been were like i'm calling in <laughs> yeah like i i'm not going to sit around um thinking i'm fine and then but then uh they said okay so you know like we have that under control and then it was like his wife was infected and then they were like okay so we're gonna contact the people who were in two meters radius of her so it's like it's like there also, are like I also, do. Also, did they I, not get up? Did they not walk around or do anything? I know, it's, right? It's lo- like, where were they coming from? China to Toronto? That's a long flight. It's a big flight. <laughs> or, no, no, it wasn't. It wasn't that. It wasn't that they were coming from Wuhan. It oh, was okay. that 
I believe it was that they were traveling from somewhere else, but he had been to Wuhan. Like, he had come from it earlier. Okay, so he's been everywhere. Yeah. But again, droplets. It's better. Droplets. Better than SARS. But SARS, the spread is pretty what, extreme right now. Yeah. The rate. Yes. Yeah. But it has to be direct contact still. Let's remember this. Let's remember this. Or spitting on people or stuff. Like, not just breathing in the same air. Uh-huh. So we're told. So we're told. <sighs> Man. Yeah, because I, I, I do I do tend to, um, like, I have a problem where I maybe trust authority too much. Oh, interesting. Um, <laughs> that's, yeah. a, that's a fun one. That's a fun one. Uh, but I do believe, I, I, I do believe that they're doing the best they can with the information they have. But... I do am sometimes quite suspect of the information that they have. Well, like there's also when, always politicking involved. It's like you want to show that you did a good job. You know, yes. governments want to show that they did a good job for just myriad reasons. And that yes. makes me distrustful. I also don't trust yeah. anyone who wants to be a politician. <laughs> mm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that might be a problem I have to deal with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. So in response to this... Um, current news cycle uh bloomberg released an article where uh which is sort of in uh, you know on brand for us in a very surface level which is uh that they were releasing like the sunny side of like humanity at the moment yeah there's been quite a few of those articles going around yeah about how we're living longer we're generally healthier child mortality is down yeah that was poverty's. like the one i mean the walrus one i brought up is a little bit like that although it weighs it weighs the two sides Right, yeah. So what was this one? Um, well, there, there's, I mean, there's not a lot uh, of new information there. It's like just taking global trends. Um, one, one I thought was interesting was how our body temperature is down. <laughs> cool. <laughs> what does that yeah. mean? Whoa. Generally, generally, people's body temperature is about like one degree Fahrenheit cooler. Um, because we are generally less, we have generally less inflammation. Uh, that is a very, is that important? <laughs> <laughs> well, it just means you live longer. Not that, not that, cause like I, I was actually kind of thinking, looking at the thing being like, great, we live longer. Like we are causing more problems for longer. Of course. Um, but that is the, that's the info. I just thought it was interesting that they were less inflamed. <laughs> I love this. We're just, things are so difficult that we're like, any good news story, put it out there. Well, you know what? We're a degree cooler. To me, that made yeah, me think like people are getting less exercise. <laughs> They're not, <laughs> not letting their body temperature go up. But yeah, I guess it means we have less fevers. Yeah. But, that's a fun statistic. Well, yeah. We are living longer. We know this. We are the problem, right? We are the cancer on this planet. That's um, right. I have you seen the movie Anthropocene? Uh, no, I have not either. But I started watching. It. Is can I just say is yep. that the pronunciation? I think so. Great, I've never heard it pronounced. I think. I mean, I watched part of it, and I believe they said it in the movie, and that's where I'm getting this from. Imagine they didn't say it. <laughs> they just <laughs> <laughs> they just, they just spelled it out, and you were like, they're like, yeah. you're on your own. Yeah. We came up with it. I don't know. That's Do the tagline. You're on your own. Oh, if only. Anthropocene. You're on your own. Well, anthropo, like, 
anthropomorphic anthropology humans uh-huh and scene like um what are the and scene like when an improv scene is over yeah like and scene <laughs> yeah good night to us we're leaving the stage very dirty we're not cleaning up <laughs> well it's been a long one it's been an epoch this scene has been an epoch but. oh it is an epoch what are some other epochs that say scene um pleistocene oh is that how you say that plasticine <laughs> no pl- pleistocene yeah i don't know i don't know how to say that one well i tried it yeah great um yeah so it, for those who are listening who don't know uh, uh, this is a was it a canadian made documentary it was yeah um beautifully shot and uh and the term anthropocene and i absolutely stand by the fact that i'm the notion that i'm pronouncing it right it means the epoch of time on this planet that where humans are the greatest influence on the environment we're changing it we're shaping it uh, i started watching it on an airplane and first of all it's beautifully shot and I'm watching it on that tiny screen uh, so I was like, that's not fair to this film. And secondly, was like, I cannot be contributing this much carbon right now and confronting it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when they got to like the old growth forest of the Pacific Northwest, which is where I'm from, mm-hmm. I I started to just cry and was like, I can't, I can't have a breakdown. I'm not even flying with someone I know, sitting next to a stranger, crying, staring at trees. Yeah. Anyway, but I've been thinking about it a lot and and I thought, I mean... Growing up in, in British Columbia with a, sort of a, a smattering of hippies around, um, I feel like I was raised with the notion that we are bad in the environment. Mm-hmm. I don't, that's why a lot of this conversation that's coming up now, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to school with David Suzuki's kid. I know, you know? Mm. Um, but all of these things like coronavirus, they they kind of feel like it's the earth trying to get rid of us or or even us out because that's what happens with, you know, a deer population on the island where my dad lived. If the deer population spikes up, they all get sick. Mm. Then die mm. off. Anyway, I don't know. That doesn't make me hopeful. Maybe in that grander sense that nature is trying to fix things. And also will. Once we eradicate ourselves, it will. It'll do something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's like there's that's kind of like um it is quite hippie to feel like the earth has some kind of intention yeah i think a lot of things have intention i think my cars know who i am right <laughs> anthropomorphizing right. its own kind of conspiracy theory yeah i'm yeah. just am i gullible or am i am i just a weirdo <laughs> well it's there's something fatalistic about it right like uh well it's not in my control and it's not random because randomness would be too uncomfortable oh. and and uh, in your control is like too impossible. It's, so. Yeah, it, it can't be in our control. There's constantly yeah. something new. Everything that we construct is like, uh-oh, we forgot. We didn't realize this. We learned this from it. But do you think it's random? Um, I think it's random in the sense that your car doesn't know who you are. Oh, yes. no. I, you know, I that one I know. How about the earth trying to kill us? Oh, um, yeah, I don't think there's an intention there. Ah, uh, no, but but there's like a natural balance. Um, no? no? It's more chaotic than that, you think? I think it's, I think it's, yeah, at least a notch or two more chaotic than that. Interesting. Because, okay. because we have basically 
conquered nature. We have the ability to completely conquer nature. Do we? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I think. Well, it, this is in so far as it, uh, in so far as it, um, uh, we can we can ruin its we can ruin its like um, uh, its capabilities to such a degree that it would just kill us, like. Yeah, but then like I, also nature. What's nature? Is nature confined to Earth? Or are we talking about like the the greater rhythms of the universe? Because we do know things. We do know that our planet interacts with other planets. We know this like in a gravitational sense. We know that um, we know that our planet is also made up of a bunch of other planets. Like rocks keep falling from outer space and things like that. The sun influences us. It's very very far away. You know those yeah. things we can't control, and they do seem to me. Uh, they do seem big and they also seem like if anything were, were to be attached to a spiritual core to who we are it's all of this and i'm trying not to sound like too much of a granola bar talking about it but it does feel it does feel bigger than us it does feel like we can't we're not going to figure it out and i'm both sickened by and love the uh, like listening to people talk about quantum physics and astrophysics and you watch a human being go and at this point we we're not capable of thinking about what's next <laughs> we are not mm -hmm. this pile of goo in a skull can't figure it out and that's pretty cool mm -hmm. yeah to me yeah um i have i have a brief answer to the hopeful question from my travels up north cool this has been a very um somber <laughs> check in and this will oh i don't think so oh no i feel like no. well maybe it's because i'm sitting in vancouver and it's pouring rain in the most beautiful classic vancouver way and i'm watching trees sway out mm. of my friend taz's uh six-story windows it's great and he lives with all these plants everywhere so it's fresh and a bit chilly and very bright and sunny out right now Ooh, what's the temperature it's like a minus three feels like minus seven. Ooh, nice and crisp where to we're at a balmy, I think, 10 degrees, and my hair got very frizzy. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. very humid. That'll happen. Um, okay, so when I was traveling in the Yukon, uh, I discovered last year in the Whitehorse Airport, there's like a kiosk or like a, I don't know, a display for a magazine called the Yukoner. Okay. I don't know when the Yukoner uh, stopped publishing. I don't know if it's still publishing. But it certainly began publishing sometime in the mid-90s, and they have brand new copies of those issues <laughs> for sale. Wow. Uh, I got some last time, and I'm like, I think I just want as much of a collection as I can have. Um, so I bought a, a bunch more, and on my flights and my travel, I've been reading them. And what they tend to be are like long uh, personal accounts, stories uh, from the Yukon, the reporting starts in the 90s, but some of the stories are reprints of things from the 50s and and letters, including this this one uh, compiled story that was a little bit of reporting and then assembled from the diary of a man who was found dead in a cabin by a river. Wow. And um, his deal was that he was um, a veteran... I forget of which war. And he he had met some guy in the city, was going to 
a massive guy, I think in Edmonton, was going to go, the guy was going to go trapping, money's good, up in the Yukon, and he was like, I'll find you. So he gets in an airplane to go find the guy. Just makes an airplane, set him down. So he's like, oh, there's a river. That must be the one he was talking about. The, there's a lake. That's what he was talking about. I, I'll go there. Not understanding how big the Yukon was. Anyway, mm. he had a very hard time and died. Okay. <laughs> and there's, <laughs> he had an extremely hard time. <laughs> and he um, documented this through a series of letters they're reprinted partly in this magazine and uh he he basically starved to death in the end and he starved to death like one bend in a river away from where he would have found a hunter's cache of food very upsetting wow he also went he also went when he got there he was like well it's september i better build a cabin he built a cabin this is like a very in my experience of my my limited experience of these yukon stories pretty classic kind of thing like well Better go do it. Uh, he's having trouble. Wolverines are eating all of his stuff. <laughs> and <laughs> anyway, and then he and he didn't tell his wife where he was going because he was like embarrassed. He just wanted to show up with like. <laughs> he was embarrassed. Well, he was embarrassed that he didn't have any He died money. of embarrassment. <laughs> yeah. And he wanted to like show up with all this cash from selling uh, fur pelts. Anyway, reading this story, I was like, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to frame this in the sort of hopeful thought, but I was like, this person put themselves in a position that's so immediate and constant, and I feel like I'm just being neurotic, being worried, and not kind of engaging in fixing anything, or just living a good life. I don't really know how to put it. It's just like people have always struggled. People have always died, and I have a lot of time to think. <laughs> Does that make sense, mm. or is that stupid? Um, so are you saying you want to engage more? Yeah. And also that life is always hard. The problem now is that we know that we're the, we're the worst part of it. Yeah. That's the issue. So this might not be what's making me hopeful, but I feel like in forward motion, getting through those thoughts is important. Ah, yes. Of like, okay. This guy, he didn't succeed, and maybe we won't, but um, he was like, I got money problems. I want my wife to respect me as a breadwinner going out to the Yukon. Um, yes. So how do we approach this problem that way? Now, we might just die. We might just die on a riverbank surrounded by just ripped up... Wolverines, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, his body got ripped up by something and thrown all over the place. And it's horrible. This was a long time ago, so it's not too yeah. soon. Um, and his diary pages everywhere. This might be how we end, mm -hmm. but still, how do we tackle this problem? Well, what I, what it makes me think of is um, something hopeful about this is this thought process you're having of like working through the paralysis of yes. hopelessness. Yes. Like, I think I think when you do like you are sort of finding an out. It's like one it's like one out. And you may you will find yourself back at the start eventually. Probably soon enough. What do you mean? Like um back in the feeling of back in the paralysis. Uh. <clears throat> because it's un you know, it's un unavoidable. It's it's everywhere. And so like what I think is hopeful about this is like practicing work 
practicing getting through that, practicing feeling your feelings and thinking your thoughts through to a point where you can, you know, be, be free of the paralysis in some way Um, and getting better at that so that engagement comes faster and easier. Um, Like I used to believe my actions had an effect. I did activist work and protest stuff and I, I felt like it did something. Yeah. I think it still can. I just started to get overwhelmed because I also did that at this point in my life 25 years ago. We should talk about we should next week we should talk about activist stuff because I've also fallen off with it and uh, that could be an interesting discussion. Yeah, and you know what else? It would be nice to to move on. Um, and this is speaking for my own self, from thought and thinking to action. I think that's a big, I think that's an important uh, step in maybe what we're trying to do here. Okay, great. Because I'm I'm still very much in the thought world, so we can argue about that. Okay. Well. I, I I don't mind being there. It's just, I I guess for me, I'm starting, it makes me anxious that I'm not doing enough. Yeah. And I might want to find this week, well, I got to get myself to California, but try to find one, one thing to do that's useful. One more thing. That's my own personal assignment, I think. Okay. Let's see if I manage to do that in a week. (laughs) Yeah. You have one week and get to California. Yeah. And get there on Saturday. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay well, well i look i look forward to hearing this week's chat uh yeah this week i chatted with my friend hazel belkowski from gibson's british columbia excellent yeah and so that's a very different perspective artist wild woman she's wonderful right okay let's listen to that okay bye uh hey i'm back with hazel belkowski who let's see i'm gonna introduce hazel uh, Hazel and I were, went to high school together. We were roommates in Toronto. Um, she's an amazing artist in a bajillion different media. Uh, the first question I always ask people on this whole thing is, how would you define yourself? Who are you in this world? It's a big question. That, that is a big question. What, what do you do? What do you like? Uh, I love to love this planet. I always thought I loved the universe, but I realized that I really love this planet and I love all the things that live here and grow here. And so my art is about that love. Yeah. So you make art, paint, silkscreen. Right. I also like to be, uh, I get it from my father, um, cryptic. Oh, great. That's good. That's fun for a podcast, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm in a medium place of bloodlines. I'm You know what? A medium place of bloodlines. Median? M- meeting. 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 Okay. Meeting place. And I got that from my mentor, Emer O'Neill, in, in my path of learning who I am. And it's been important for me to uh, embrace my ancestry and embrace the the mixed blood of Anishinaabe, Finnish, Irish, English. So having like settler and indigenous to Turtle Island mm-hmm. inside me and learning how to be an ally to myself. Interesting. And learning how to own the settler or like that, the European, what I like to call a European Canadian. And Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I think 
um, well, I think a lot of uh, the people at this point in the podcast who listen to this are settler Canadians. This has come up in other episodes too, but only a little bit. And I think there's some really interesting conversations to have. I mean, there's, there's a million conversations to have in that direction right now. Um, but uh, oh, before we go any further, I want to say that we are we're recording in Gibson's BC, where if you can hear the sound of a crackling fire or a dog getting up and sort of changing position or a creek rushing by us, that's because we're in a beautiful cabin in the woods called the Creekside, which that's what it's called, the mm-hmm. cabin. Mm-hmm. Cool. And it was a structure on a communal land called Delphi. In the 70s. Really? 60s and 70s, and my parents ended up here, and then I came along. You mean your parents ended up, like, in this... On this land. On this land? At the front of the land, in a different different structures. But there was all these structures that were called the goat barn, the A-frame, and the main house. I feel like every communal space needs an A-frame. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there's always one, right? It needs to be burnt down now. It's over there, but it's very oh, it's de- still there, derelict. Yeah, should we burn it down tomorrow? Yeah, we've maybe. got other stuff to do. It's it's going to be a big task, <laughs> and not just down. something that we can randomly go do. The two yeah, of us. There's a lot of trees in the way. We, like, yeah, it would cause a scene. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter for me. I'm taking off. That's true. You'd have to live with the gossip. Um. Anyway, back to back to the conversation. So, um, <clears throat> we. We were talking a little bit earlier, this is a social visit as well, um, but about this notion um, of witnessing, witnessing the, I, I was going to say apocalypse, you said something else, mass, mass extinction. Apocalypse is a good word. But this is something that hasn't come up yet on this podcast, the notion of what it is to be a good witness. And I really liked what you were saying, so that's why I was like, Let, we got to record now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, it was in this. Fa- it was the fall, like October, and I found myself daily seeing newspaper covers, magazine covers at the grocery store, or getting talking to people, or hearing the radio, and it was some massive tragedy. It was like like how in in all directions on all levels, like whether it's social or environmental or the mass extinction of animals and mm-hmm. plants on the planet. And I, I mean, you can freak out, you can go numb, you can do all, we have so many different choices of emotions, how to handle it. But I was talking to people and people were just expressing this grief and I was feeling this daily grief. And it, it dawned on me, like from a yogic tradition or from many of the spiritualities, it's about this neutrality, like not being too ecstatic and not being too depressed, but finding neutral ground. And that we are, if you're awake and aware, then you're a witness. We're witnessing this mass extinction. We're witnessing the loss of land and people having to migrate. We're witnessing all these, like, decisions to go to war, like, that at this day and age, it's like, really? We're still making these kind of choices? So what does that mean? I'm sorry that I don't understand these traditions as much, but <clears throat> what does it mean to witness in that in that regard? Like, that that's just a reality of our life right now? So we feel like we can't do much, Yeah, maybe? 
we feel like so we like walk, turn the TV on or we go and have a lot of beer. Um, so the wit witnessing what I've learned. So I do a lot of circle work. I sit. I we sit in circle and you witness people speak and mm-hmm. you don't try to interfere if people are having big emotions. You don't try to interfere. No, yeah. you just allow people to have that. And so I think from this work, and I work with youth. I work with an organization called Indigenize here, and we work with Indigenous youth throughout BC. And so there's a lot of just witnessing, allowing people to be themselves, do themselves, have tantrums, have freakouts, and not try to change the situation. And I think I was thinking about these kind of things. I was like, oh, I have to be a, how do I learn how to be a resilient witness so that every time I hear about another, like the black rhino going extinct, or I hear about the there's no more insects are dying this kind of butterfly anymore yeah how do i not have it like knock me over every time but Mm -hmm. to be like oh this is what's happening right now and how do i cultivate that resiliency in me and allow myself because the witness is a really important role to stand there and observe and to to take account to like we Maybe the witness is going to be that oral storyteller that's going to recount this time on the planet. Yeah. Okay. So this is another thing is, so we're talking mass extinction. It seems like there might be a mass extinction of human beings, but do you think we're toast? I don't think we are. I am someone who has like a great deal of what you might call hope. I know the word gets loaded on this podcast. It gets weird, but yeah, we, we can use it openly and hope is in a like a real like i'm not if a whole bunch of us die i'm a whole bunch of us are gonna die there's there's a lot of us on the planet yeah um but you know i also have faith in the unseen world so our ancestors angels which aren't big tall people with like wings i think angel is just like a, a a different dimensional consciousness that is so abstract we can't really understand, but it is benevolent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's spirit, our higher selves. There's just like a lot of unseen support that we are, that we have access to and that are here. Right. Uh, or strengths within ourselves. And strength, yeah, and seeing strengths within ourselves. So, the witness. This is this is something I actually I would love to unpack because for me, I'm feeling right now like, um, uh, and Dan and I actually talked about this when I talked to him earlier today, like that I don't know how to be an activist. I don't know what to do, and witnessing to me, um, I think this conversation will change my mind a lot, but it just seeing didn't feel like enough. There's like a panic and anxiety in me. What can I do? And I don't, in some cases, I do know what the answer is, like, give some money to the Red Cross, you know, not not a bad idea. But like, in a greater sense, it's absolutely, I do feel bowled over by the news. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, there is, there's so many things we can do. A lot of it needs to come from our joy of doing it. So if you have a joy of being on the front lines, 
making banners, walking, talking, like that's where you find yourself. Mm-hmm. If you have a joy of like standing on the street corner and getting signatures signed or getting money donated to the rape crisis, crisis rape relief or yeah. rape relief, or if you need to go and help clean up oil or yeah, like there's, there's so many places that need our support and help. It's like, you need to go to somewhere that gives you joy. Like you can't be doing it from a place of this is going to be a fight. I got to go there. There's because you know when I was being an activist, yeah, and I went to Grassy Narrows and I a community in northern Ontario where they had a logging road blockade, still do, yeah. But it was on that trip where I realized I didn't want to be fighting anything. I didn't want to have a fight that I needed to win because if I won that fight, then I would need another fight to keep that identity. Right. As an activist. Yeah. And so for me, the solution was to work with, to go towards anything that was healing. So sitting in circle with people, Mm -hmm. making things with my hands, listening to an elder. On that trip, I was like, holy cow, our elders are our last living link. On the Grassy Narrows trip? Yeah, Yeah, in 2007. And I went across country with Rainforest Action Network and with some elders and a youth from Grassy. And they were, we were doing speaking awareness tours and I was filming them and, and witnessing and, and the witness, like as that witness, I was watching them gain confidence by speaking. I was like observing the crowds in each community, like what's going on. And on that trip, I was like, I want to be with elders. I want to hear the stories of the land. I want to know how to live on the land. I want to know how to be a steward of the land. Mm -hmm. And I want to get, like, my jam is youth and elders. I love intergenerational work. So I started those storytelling circles in Toronto. Yeah, I did one. It was great. And, like, bringing young people and older people together and people from all different kind of walks of life together in circle to eat food and tell stories and listen. Yeah, I met people on one night I would never have met otherwise, and we all laughed together. It was it was it was powerful. It felt really powerful. That was a really fun night. I'll never forget <laughs> you saying that I was going to throw all those plastic bags. Just throw all those plastic bags into the. I think about that too. So for those listening at home, now we're just sort of chatting, but. There was, I don't know how that came up, but I was just so frustrated. And how many years ago was this? This was like, it feels like 10 years ago. Maybe not. It would have been 2009. Okay. Wow. So it was 11 years ago. But I was so frustrated at that point with the sense of just plastic in the oceans that I was like, I just honestly feel like I should just go down to Lake Ontario and throw a bunch of plastic bags in the lake because they all end up there anyway. And like, if people saw me and got upset, then wouldn't that be better (laughs) than what's happening now? And Hazel was like... Let's film it. Let's Let's do it. it. We didn't. We should have. But I think about, I mean, I still live right by the lake. And I I honestly, I see that image in my mind all the time as I go down there and just pick up plastic endlessly off the shore every time I go down, you know? Yeah, me too. Here in the woods, like behind my house, I'll go and pick, people go and dump plastic. It's everywhere. Piles of garbage on fire. Yeah, we've done a doozy. We've put a real fun confetti all over this planet. Um, so, but you were telling, you were talking about circles and the ones that you'd started here in the fall. I think we were kind of heading mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. So as far as witnessing, doing work that might not be front lines, but still really valuable. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, like our energy, we're such powerful energy beings. So if we can get a neutral energy, we can get a grounded energy without panic. I think we are energetically doing a lot of good. Yeah. So that witnessing for me, I was like, how can I handle this grief? Mm -hmm. This daily grief. And I was talking with people and I thought I need to get, I want to gather with people and have an outlet for the grief. And so I started these circles. We've held two of them, and they're called the Grief Grief and Praise Supper Club. Which is awesome. <laughs> and, it, you know, I thought it needed some levity. Thank you. Um, <laughs> supper. Everybody likes supper. And we have, we've had these amazing potlucks. Both potlucks were like, you know, some potlucks people bring, like, hummus and chips but these potlucks were like spicy meatballs like bone broth soup like yeah not just like quiches. tostitos no it was like some, real like, nourishing food yeah some nice that's nice steamed veggie casserole the food here is so good too there's farmland nearby you can really it's not the no frills garbage that i eat sorry no frills you're not gonna be our sponsor <laughs> <laughs> yeah and a lot of people brought food from their garden and so we we started these circles as a way to express grief and i learned about grief and praise being the same thing from a man named Martin Prechtel and if you go to youtube you can listen to this three part series about grief and praise and martin prechtel is was raised in the mayan tradition and he also works with young men young offenders in like inner city houston mhm mm He's got this deep, rough, tough voice. And this, my friend Lizzie introduced me to this, these three, these three talks that are one talk, about 20 minutes each. And there's a word in the Mayan tradition that means the same thing, grief and praise. So mm. when you're grieving something, you're praising that life. You're, oh, beautiful. So to grieve is the praise, you know, is the same, is sort of the same as, so if someone dies, then the whole community would get together and grieve. And, and they praise. Would, and praise. Oh, I get the it. The life. That's amazing. I never thought of it that way. It's brilliant. Yeah. And so, and that how important that is for society, for a community, for a family, the grieving process, and to actually be witnessed. So there would be people who would also witness the grieving and who would hold space for the grieving. In the Mayan tradition? or In the Mayan tradition, in most traditions, you'll oh. find wailing women. Oh, the people who, like, are not related to the family, but, like, rip their clothes open at the grave? Yeah. Yeah. Or come to your house and wail with you. Yeah. yeah I've heard of this. I think there's a Spanish... I Maybe I'm wrong about that. And they're, like, in Finland, so part of my ancestry is Finnish, and I read this... I found this article about the Finnish laments and that they're having a renaissance. They're coming back and people are writing laments about divorce and pharmaceuticals and antidepressants. So what's a lament in that? A lament would be tradition. an epic poem, a song ah. you hear and they actually wail in the song. And it's these, the one, the first lament I ever heard was a woman singing about how her hundred-year-old house had been burnt down by the Russians, and 
she's telling this story of the Russians burning down her family's house right. and how much they miss it. And she's singing in the language and she's wailing. It is cathartic. I haven't wailed in a while. <laughs> and as soon as I heard that, I was like, I want to, I want to be a wailing woman. I want to, I want to lament. I want to participate in this practice of grieving and praising and, and so, yeah, these supper clubs started because I was like, I think we're in a time right now where we're going to need, we need each other. Um, yeah. And we need an outlet for our grief and we need to remember to praise. That's amazing. I mean, and it's interesting, like, we were only a few kind of episodes into this and conversations into it, but I've never thought of this as an era of grief. And that's, to me, really... Um, I'm sorry to say, paradigm shifting. <laughs> sorry to use the term. Well, there's this amazing article I read, or may not. It's by Dina Metzger, and she's a. I can't say what she. I think she's a biologist. She studied elephants. She's done a lot of things, but she says that we are all suffering from extinction disease, extinction illness. She said, and she claims in this essay, which is. I get you the information yeah. of the essay that um, everything that's happening on the planet is an expression of extinction illness. So whether someone goes in and shoots up a church or uh, someone drinks too much or it's like, you mean it's like the existential crisis is, is driving us mad. Yeah. Mm. Cause we are actually physically, killing our own home you know like yeah we're we're killing our mother we're killing the planet yeah we're gonna open like another huge mind in the tar sands like we're just making insane decisions yeah we're making poor decisions we're like a drunk at 2 a.m looking for the after party yeah <laughs> we are sick we're throwing up already and we are we want to drink more yeah yeah and that all of it, she relates it back to this extinction illness because we know on a on a molecular level that we're doing this to ourselves. Right. And conscious. I think some of us know it on a conscious level. Yeah, many of us do. There's this, the, the notion of like Rome is burning and we're, we let's just party is certainly like, it, it's out there. I've heard people say that to me. Um, okay. Well, so at the supper clubs... Uh, when you invite people in to share grief, first of all, how do you how do you invite people in? You live in a smallish community. Yeah, so, so I I put the invite out, and it's open invite. It's not like a close. Like I was very specific about who I invited, and then my friend uh, Dana, who's helping me host it, host them. Dana Wilson, she knows more people, so she put the, it out further. Right, but it was put out socially, not through, like, Facebook or anything. Yeah, it was put out through an email. <laughs> it feels like the opposite of Facebook, actually, to sit around and witness each other in real life, which is so important on a human level. Mm -hmm. But we've really become alienated from that, certainly in Toronto, where I'm living right now. It feels like that. Yeah. And so a lot of my, so a lot of my work in the past five years has been creative facilitation. So learning how to facilitate and hold groups and create safer containers for all types of people to be in and to listen to each other and do personal development work and take risks. 
Wow. And be seen and heard. Is this through art or separate? This is through, this is, yeah, using creative, creative art, visual art, dancing, theater. And we use it with youth, but we also, I also do a lot of adult trainings. Yeah. And like community interventions, like you were talking about screen printing in a mall and anyone who shows up can engage and be involved. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and that's what I've been called to do. Like, I can't stop myself. I just, it started in Toronto and volunteering at Sketch, yep. the open art studio. And then I was compelled to hold those storytelling circles and bring youth and elders together. And I think it's always about me just wanting to be with people and, and to, yeah, create spaces of belonging. Yeah. Safer spaces. So, and these, these, um, these circles, I know they, you know, the circle feels like a sacred space and you don't want to betray anybody's confidences. They feel like they exist with those people at that time. But what sort like for you, the grief has to do with this gigantic existential question, but is that what people are bringing in or there, you can bring in anything you're going you through. Bring in anything. So the first circle we had, um, it was a small group of us. I think there was seven. And that one, that one I was being more casual with because I didn't quite, I wanted to see if other people stepped forward and wanted to facilitate or I was hosting it, but I had wanted to do these facilitated like one-on-one triad, sort of like break the group up. But because we were seven and the group at the beginning, I asked them, can I break you? Can we do personal work one-on-one and they were all kind of like we want to be together so they wanted so then I sometimes I do this technique where I'll ask three questions and we'll go around three times oh nice and so one of the questions was what's breaking your heart right now so beautiful for some people it was really personal for some people it was larger for me it was the rhinos I couldn't get the rhinos out of my mind. <laughs> yeah. Well, it feels like, yeah, the, any given day, there could be something from the news that's like too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we had the full spectrum. You know, we had a mother's talk about her son. Um, and that he's so angry. Mm. You know, like a sort of adult son who doesn't, can't express his anger. Yeah. And that's heartbreaking. And, and then the second circle, there was more people, 17 people, 18 people showed up wow. on a snowy night. And a snowy night in Vancouver usually keeps people or in it's, D.C. It's quite rare. It is part of British Columbia. Yeah. It keeps people in their homes. Terrified. <laughs> but they all came and it was a crazy, beautiful, I don't want to use the word crazy. It was like a feast of food from people's gardens, mostly organic. So, you know, it's like, it's a privileged crowd. Yeah. Predominantly European-Canadian. Um, and this one was more surface. It was like, what are the tools that you use to support you in your life around grief and praise? And this time I did do one-on-one work. I um, People got in groups. We did big circle work. Um and I also really, like, one of the sort of integral pieces of creating a safer container is your goals and agreements. So I have... Like, as a group? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So I had the goals, like we're exploring grief and praise at this time. We are exploring what it means to be a resilient witness. We are going to have fun and a quiet type of fun, a fun of like being together. Yeah. It's like the, uh, what was it called from, I remember from activist days, the basis of unity Mm. being a term used of like, Mm. this is what we are here to do. Any other ways in which we don't overlap, we're not talking about while we're here. This is our goal tonight as a group, mm. right? Yeah. Yeah, to keep it focused. And if it goes off, you can bring it back. You're like, no, we all agreed to this when we got here. Yeah. yeah. And then we have a set of agreements. And I put like three on. And then as a community, we we made a whole bunch more agreements. And then nice. we sealed the deal with a, with a clap. <laughs> I feel like this sort of basis of unity stuff is that comes from, or, or what, or the agreements. I feel like it's activist stuff that, other people should know about and practice creative groups should definitely practice it oh man i don't really want to do anything without goals and agreements yeah because and they can be quick they can be easy you can have one goal and you can have a couple agreements but it just i've done it where you don't have them and this is when i'm working with youth groups or children and if you don't say it Something about just speaking it out, it creates this energy field around all of us that allows for integrity, that allows, if something really does go sideways, you can go back and say, hey, you know what, we agreed to this. And It also immediately binds you. The first thing to do is agree. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great That's a first nice thing way to of do. saying it. It yeah. binds you. Um, there was one other thing that you were talking about, but I don't know if it's totally off topic. You're talking about sort of a, a, an interest in the cold yeah the cold swimming i mean we're shifting gears now but we gotta wrap <laughs> this up and i wanted this cool thing to come in well there's it's a whole other world of like conversation I, I practice kundalini yoga and part of it is having cold showers before you practice which i am very scared of as an idea and so i realized i started having these cold showers and i try to avoid them I try to like get busy doing other things. And then I'm like, why are you busy doing that? Cause you know, you're going to get in the sh- cold shower, like get in, get in. And the head rush and the endorphins that I get from it just makes me like giggle hysterically. Do you scream? And Did I you start it. screaming? I don't scream. Oh, no. Well, I might try this in your place tomorrow. And I might scream. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> screaming is good. Okay. I just also love cold water swimming and I always have. Right. And then recently I listened to Wim Hof on a podcast with Tammy Simon called The Insights at the Edge. Right. And they called that podcast the cold, the noble force, cold, the noble force. And the way that Wim Hof was talking about using the cold to bring peace to the planet Earth and wake humans up and put us directly in touch with uh, Mother Nature and and it's all for free, like especially <laughs> us who are in the northern hemisphere who have access to very cold water. And I guess if you're deep into the southern hemisphere, yeah. Anyways, I highly recommend listening to that and connect. Like if you're at all curious about getting in the cold, see that's interesting because that does actually sort of relate to the circles in a way. Now that you now that we talk about it in my mind, because um, th- the space of isolation is in in our context is our homes where we have heat. The communal space, the spaces between us, we might own the land, but that's where the cold is. 
The Mm -hmm. gathering places are by the water, in the cold, but we'd rather be warm in our homes and alone. And it's making us fucking insane. Yeah. It's making us like isolated, freaked out zombies or me anyway. Right. And what he's saying is like, get outside, use the cold to wake you up, to activate your immune system, to like that vascular flush. Like if you can do hot, cold, hot, cold, where it's bringing your blood in and out from the core of your body and out to the edges. Yeah. It's so good for you. Yeah. And he talks about healing diseases and healing all the things that are making us numb and healing consumerism. Like, if we take cold showers, we'll stop being so consumerist. I think you might, yeah. (laughs) That'd be rad. Well, I also joined, there's this group of women, and one of the women we actually went to high school with, Keely Hayward. Okay. She started, they started a cold water swimming club over in Roberts Creek, which is like, 15, 20 minute drive from here. Uh-huh. And I joined them like probably on one of the coldest days, the day I joined them. In the ocean? In the ocean. And I met Good up gravy. with them at 7 a.m. It was dark out. <laughs> there was a light pink coming online. And it was the first or second day of frost that we had. This sounds brave. And we all went in the ocean. It's all women predominantly in the swimming club. And then I decided, like, I didn't want to drive 20 minutes to meet up with them. Yeah, you got a creek right here. Yeah, I got a creek, and I'm five minutes from a different beach here. Yeah. So I started going on my own, and I was going every other day. I haven't been. I need to go in the next couple days because I haven't been. I don't know that I'm going to get in the ocean with you right now. I should. I don't know. Cold shower. I'll start with that. Start with the cold shower. Um, Hayes, where can people find you on the internet? Find your work? Any of it? Can they? Or where can they find you not on the internet? Uh, you can find me walking my dog in the woods. Yeah, go walk through the woods <laughs> looking for a woman and a dog. You well, creeps. I have a really mediocre website that I'm going to fix up. But my it's hazelbelkoski.com. Great. B-E- or Insta- Instagram, Hazel. B-E-L-L-K-O-S-K-I. Yeah. Um, Hazel, spelled the way you would. And... We didn't even get to talking about the screen printed, screen printed uh, flags you make. Flags, yeah. Well, I will just end there. Yes, yeah. the, that project. So it's this huge project that started in 2010, and it's we're right now sitting in Hazel's cabin. There's there's flags everywhere, and she's looking at them, considering them as <laughs> they're all like made out of stencils and they're silk screened, and I've made them like at the mall at camp. I've made them at events called Reconciliation in Action. The one I'm looking at right now is made for Mauna Kea, where there's people on the front lines in Hawaii on the big island protecting... Which one, the volcano? Yeah. Mauna Kea, one of their most sacred um, places, mm-hmm. their mother volcano. I started having dreams, and they and so then I was like, oh, I better make flags for Mauna Kea. You've made these ones that you made in Finland? Yeah. Those are swans that I made in Finland, and they're filled with Finnish mythology, the land of the dead. So you're assembling these. So then I silkscreen them on found fabric, and then we sew them together. And then uh, our favorite thing to do is to hang them out in forests. So we hang them at camps, at festivals. Yeah. And the project's called Prayer Stream. And what I've figured out about them is that they're uh, it's an amplification project so when we're talking about what can you do that doesn't look like activism 
is make beautiful things that celebrate the universe and make them with people. Mm. And so these are made consciously and they're made out of joy and ease because we used to silk screen and make t-shirts and stuff. Yeah. And I was we, used, like, we used to spray paint in our basement apartment. Yeah. <laughs> that was a bad idea. <laughs> and, and I realized I didn't really like making t-shirts and selling them. I just wanted to make stencils and silk screen them. And then all of a sudden they're like, sew us together. Yeah. So I feel like they grew out of ease and joy for me. Yeah, and you've assembled all these stories from all the places you've been, the people you've spoken to, and then also the people who helped you make them or collaborated with you, right? Yeah, and I have, like, when I go to camps, so the heart of Indigenize is these eight-day youth camps that are out on the land that use traditional teachings, land-based learning, and creative art to empower 14 to 18-year-olds and help them, like, find their gifts. And they come from, they come being, like, silent shy to like standing up and singing prince at the open mic or something <laughs> or writing their own hip-hop and being an mc and that's amazing it's amazing over eight days so we make we make stencils there we hang all the flags there but yeah they're this so when i think i stopped listening to news when i catch it i catch it like in my car but but you're getting ago. stories from people. I get stories from people. Yeah. You can't not hear what's going on. Right. But I think that's like a fear that's being amplified, you know? They're amplifying fear and making panic a frequency and an energy that can, uh, that manipulates us. And so these flags are... I was calling it a low-tech amplification project because it's like thread and a silkscreen technique that anyone can do at their house. Right. So but they also live better with the stories, right? They're like triggers for the stories. Yeah. It's a storytelling project. Yeah. For sure. It's fun to be like, hey, what do you want? Pick one out and we'll tell a story about it. Incredible. It's the news. It's the That's news. That's what you're saying. A different, yeah. a different, A different approach to the news. Yeah. And I, I know people have them hanging in all over the world in like hot, there's one in Australia in a hospital. And so I get these testimonials. My friend wrote me and said the flags that are hanging in this room and she runs an art room in a hospital that is for people who are recovering from suicide or mental health stuff and so she holds a space for creativity to happen and she hung flags in there and she said that immediately the space changed hmm. people started coming uh, people were more comfortable and she said the most interesting was that the doctors who are very like by the book and straight and they started to relax huh and she noticed the difference in them more than in the patients that's fascinating. And she was like, we need to order more for different rooms at the hospital. <laughs> we need them everywhere. Um, well, I wish we could talk forever. I guess I'll just have to come back or you'll have to come to somewhere I am. Or we can talk on the phone. Um, I'm going to find some... I'm going to make sure that I take some pictures of these flags before I leave because Hazel's locked out of her Instagram. Yeah, I've got one. There's one account. but the, There's a prayer stream community flag project Instagram and there's Hazel Belkowski Instagram and both of those feature the flags and you're in one of them you're you have access I'll I don't have access to either of those but then the 
I'll but my third out. one, which is Hazel B. Courage. Mm-hmm. Those, that's my painting. That's mainly my painting. Well, we'll post links to it. I'm going to see if I can get you back into your Instagram accounts while I'm here. Okay. Maybe I've got the right kind of magic to do it. You I don't know. I do. Well, we'll see. You've always been better at that kind of stuff than me. That's amazing because I'm not great at <laughs> it. <laughs> it's, it's impressive that you're worse. Um, well, thank you all for listening. And... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I would just say... Just oh, you have another thing to say? Do what you love to do. Follow your joy and be gentle with yourself. And I think kindness is really going to help us. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Sure it is. Okay. Bye, everyone. word podcast is produced by stacy mcgonigal for the shop follow the shop on instagram at the underscore shop to artwork this week by hazel belkowski and our theme music as always by laura barrett for information on all of our artists and guests please follow us everywhere at the h word pod or go to the h to subscribe to our newsletter <laughs>